Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question. And we'll give you more information We'll give you resources so that you can access online courses and other events and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started. And thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome to the Legal One podcast. My name is John Worthington, a consultant with Legal One. Today's episode is part of a 12-part series highlighting major U.S. and New Jersey Supreme Court decisions, why they are relevant today, and how the law has evolved since that decision. Today, we are discussing overcoming barriers to student access in light of a major U.S. Supreme Court decision, Fry versus Napoleon Community Schools. Fry is the seminal case on determining whether a case in its underlying issues is one of student access, or instead, one involving provision of a FAPE or a free appropriate public education. The answer to this question determines where legal proceedings in the case must be raised and what laws the case must be filed pursuant to. Today, I have with me Gita Bogle, a consultant at Legal One. Welcome, Gita. Hi, John. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. We also have with us a special guest, Kathy Lindenbaum, president of the New Jersey PTA. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, John. Hi, Gita. Thank you for um, this great collaboration, and thank you so much for including the parent voice, which is instrumental in our students' education. It's a pleasure to have you with us today, Kathy. So today, I'll start by giving you an overview of the case, and then we will go into a few questions that are raised by the legal holding in that case. So again, the case is Fry versus Napoleon Community Schools, 137 Supreme Court, 743, and it's from 2017. The legal issue in the case was, must plaintiffs exhaust IDEA administrative remedies before pursuing a claim under Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 and Title II of the Americans with Disability Act in a case involving a denial of access for a service dog? The underlying facts of the case are, EF, a student from Michigan with a severe form of cerebral palsy, had a service dog named Wonder who assists her with daily living activities. As such, EF's parents requested permission for Wonder to join her at the school. The school refused and instead offered a one-to-one aid to assist EF during her daily activities. The parents decided to homeschool EF instead of taking up the school's offer. The parents also filed a complaint with the Office for Civil Rights, asserting violations of Section 504 and Title II of the ADA, and the Office for Civil Rights agreed with the parents. The district then offered to accept the child back based on the decision of OCR and to allow her to bring her service dog. The parents instead chose to enroll EF in a private school that they felt was more welcoming to her service dog, and they filed a lawsuit in federal court for a denial of access for EF's service dog and alleging violations of Section 504 and Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act. The district then sought to have the case dismissed for failure to exhaust administrative remedies under the IDEA. 
Essentially, the district argued that because EF is a student with disabilities under the IDEA, the parents cannot file in federal court until all administrative remedies under IDEA are exhausted, such as mediation and a due process hearing, in order to contest the ability to have the service dog at the school. The district court agreed and granted the district's motion to dismiss the case, and that decision was affirmed by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. The parents then appealed to the United States Supreme Court, and the court took the case. The Supreme Court, after examining the facts of the case, held that the exhaustion of administrative remedies is required when the gravamen or crux of a parent or plaintiff suit is a denial of a free appropriate public education, which is the only relief the court concluded is available under IDEA. If the gravamen of the complaint is something other than a faith denial, exhaustion is not required. So that was the question the court determined has to be answered each time when determining whether a parent can file directly in federal court or if you have to exhaust your remedies under IDEA. The court noted that there's no magic words that required in the pleadings in order to make this determination. The important inquiry is what relief the suit in fact seeks and whether the relief is available under IDEA. So essentially what the court held is if the case involves a free appropriate public education for a student with disabilities, then you exhaust ideas, administrative remedies, mediation, due process hearing, then you can appeal to the courts. If it doesn't involve a FAPE, you can go directly to the district court and file a lawsuit. In order to make the determination, the court gave three guiding questions to determine what the crux of a complaint is. The first question is, could the plaintiff have brought essentially the same claim if the conduct occurred at a public facility other than a school? So essentially what the court is saying is that if you could file the same claim if you were denied access to a municipal building or a public library or other like facility, then it wouldn't necessarily be that FAPE is the crux of the complaint. The second question the court posed is, could an adult have pressed essentially the same grievance? So when you're looking at a school district, if the teachers in the building or other staff could file the same type of case against the district for a denial of access, say an adult needed a service dog, and if they could still file that claim because they have no rights under IDEA and have no entitlement to a FAPE, IDEA covers people or students ages zero birth to 21. And so those that are older than 21 are not covered by IDEA, but if they could still file the same claim, then that's another question that would drive you, depending on the answer to the question, to conclude that perhaps you do not have to exhaust administrative remedies. And the third question is, and this is the easiest one to answer, did the plaintiffs pursue ideas administrative remedies at the outset of the proceedings? So essentially what the court is saying there is if initially the parents had looked at the procedural protections and idea and determined to file for mediation or a resolution hearing and then moved to a due process hearing, but then at some point in that process withdrew that case and instead filed in federal court without finishing going through that process, that is another factor determining whether it's really an issue involving FAPE. So really when you're looking at the questions, if the answer to the first two questions is no and the third question is yes, then you would conclude that this is a case that should be brought under IDEA, which would cause you to have to go through the procedural protections in IDEA, file for mediation in a due process hearing. If the answer is yes to the first two and no to the third, then your answer would likely go to, you can go directly to the federal court and file under section 504, ADA and other laws as applicable. 
Now, when you're looking at relief available under IDEA, because that's one of the central questions to this is going to come down to what relief is available under IDEA. If there is relief available, you have to file there first, or that's at least one of the factors in those three questions. So when you're looking at the remedies, as I said, there's mediation, due process hearings, or the types of relief that are available. And basically, the court said, if it's an issue appropriate for special education mediation and due process, then it involves a FAPE. And when you look at the state regulations, basically the types of issues that are available are issues over identification, evaluation, program placement, provision of a FAPE are the types of issues you can file a due process hearing for. So if it falls within the scope of is the child eligible for special education, what services should they receive, where should the program and placement be, those types of issues are FAPE issues. And the court concluded that's the only type of relief you can get under IDEA, a free appropriate public education. So if it falls within the scope of those issues, then you would exhaust those remedies first, then you could go to federal court. And if not, you wouldn't have to do so. Now, when you're looking at what factors do you look at when assessing whether something is part of a FAPE, there are a few things you would want to look at. First, when you're looking pursuant to IDEA and the state regulations, an appropriate public education means specially designed instruction. That instruction has to be designed to meet the unique needs of a student with a disability, be provided in accordance with the standard of the state educational agency. It has to include preschool, elementary school, and secondary school children. And it has to be provided in accordance with the student's individualized education program or IEP. And that's the key part. If you're talking about a service, a program, placement, something that is in the IEP, what the student will get in order to receive a free appropriate public education, then it's within the scope of FAPE and it's a case that would require exhaustion. However, if you're looking at something like Wonder the Service Dog in this case, where it really wasn't a question of should Wonder be in the student's IEP, the student already had the dog. It was a service dog, it was their dog, and the question was can the dog actually come into the facility? That would be more outside of the scope of FAPE because they weren't arguing over whether the district should provide them a service dog. The district did offer to provide a one-to-one -one aid in lieu of the dog, but that was after the OCR had found that they had acted inappropriately. Um, but initially, it was not an issue that came up at an IEP meeting as far as does she need the dog. The issue was, can the dog enter the district's facility with the child and basically be with the child all day long? And so there, the key types of distinctions that you have to look at is, is it within the scope of the services and all in the IEP, or is it an access issue? Other issues that would come to mind would be an elevator for the building. You don't necessarily need the elevator. It's not something in the IEP, but it might be an access issue if you're going to take a science class and you need to get to the second or third floor where the science classroom is. And so it's not, I need that for FAPE. I need to get to the class to receive my FAPE, but I need the elevator to have full access to the facility. And so you have to look at the various issues, the different components that come up in questions, analyze it in accordance with the questions that the court noted in this case, and then make a determination of are you really talking fate for the student or are you talking access to a public facility? 
So other examples when you're talking about access issues would include perhaps an adult with a service dog seeking access to the library. Clearly, IDEA doesn't apply. They're over age 21. They're seeking an access. It's an access issue. Perhaps they need the service dog, seeing eye dog, service for other reasons, and they need to seek access to the library. So that's one example. Another, I mentioned providing an elevator for a student with a disability, accessing class trips, extracurricular activities. You can have issues with regard to that. Yes, students with disabilities are entitled to participate in class trips and extracurriculars, but it might not necessarily be an issue of can you go on the class trip or the extracurricular, but it's accessing that activity. Perhaps you need the service to over some other service in order to access it. That's where you'd have to start analyzing the three guiding questions in the Fry case and determine is it more about access or is it about having something, a service that's part of FAPE or accessing it in order to receive what we already understand as part of a FAPE. And one big reason that you're, you're doing this analysis and looking into this, there's a couple of reasons. First, if you need to exhaust administrative remedies and ultimately seek to file litigation under Section 504 of the ADA, exhaustion is going to take up to a couple of years to go through the mediation, the due process proceedings and the like, finish exhausting your, your due process rights under IDEA, having this dispute resolved there, then you can file the issues under the other laws. And a big difference, under both laws, you could seek attorney's fees, but under 504 and the ADA, you'd also be able to seek damages. As the court noted in Fry, under IDEA, your right is to a FAPE. There are no damages under IDEA. You can certainly, as I noted, seek attorney's fees if you're a prevailing party in the case as a parent, but you would not be able to seek damages. Whereas under the other two laws, you would be able to go directly to federal court. And then at that point, you could file for damages. So Gita, as a special ed director, how would you look at these issues and decide whether the crux or gravement of a complaint is really FAPE or access at a practical director level, not looking at it so much legally, how would you look at these issues and in your mind decide, well, are we really talking about FAPE for a student or are we talking accessing our school facility? When I was rereading the Fry case, I was struck with the comments the parents made regarding services under FAPE. The response was that they had no difficulty with the IEP. They apparently were pleased with the program. Very important, they were pleased with the evaluative process. The placement seemed adequate. And as a matter of fact, indicated their child was receiving an excellent education with no apparent gaps. That says to me, there was communication. The IEP team knew what they wanted to do and implemented accordingly. Though I am reading into this, John, admittedly, I am also thinking the way I believe they were. It's more about how did we ever get to this point? Thus, unless there is an attorney within the family, their concern is about adequacy of service to include access. Honestly, I don't believe that the issue is about which agency is culpable. It became that, but it was really about the totality of services that would serve the child during her school day. Well. 
Thank you, Gita. And uh, do you have any thoughts on how a district should be working with a parent when you're starting to discuss issues like this, where they bring up, we have something, in this case, a service dog that we'd like to bring into your facility. Um, any suggestions or thoughts on how a district brings up or engages in that conversation with a parent when the issue is raised with something like this, a service dog, and accessing the facility with that um, service? John, this is an on-point question and really includes from the outset the parents, the types of communication you have with the parents. And that isn't to say that there won't be issues of contention, but the issues are quickly dissipated if there's trust between the two groups. It is vital that the IEP team clearly understands the child's needs. Include the child. Don't make them third party. They are part of the process. They need to know. And like the parents trusting the IEP team and the school, children need to learn trust. It will help them become more successful. They need to know that they can communicate and that their concerns are heard. The teachers, of course, are essential to the process and need to be included. When looking at this question, it's also important to look at confidentiality. When the parents trust you, they're more likely to share things about the child. Uh, they would want you to know in the planning process, you have very vital information at that point. And that can only help you understand, plan, evaluate, and report back. So not only do you have to be excellent educators, but you have to be the best reporters that you can be. Uh, thank you, Gita. And now, Kathy, uh, thank you again for joining us. I'd like to ask a couple questions uh, from you and get the parent perspective on some of these issues. Uh, so first, what concerns do you envision or have you seen with respect to access or discrimination uh, type issues such as the service dog and fry? Well, some issues that, you know, would pop up in my head. Um, with a service dog would be just, you know, basic issues. Um, do other students in the classroom have allergies? Does the teacher have allergies? Um, are there students that are afraid of animals? Um, not everyone has, you know, pets in their home. And, and what about the students who have pets in their home who want to play with the dog because that's what they're used to in the younger years? You know, the older students would understand in high school and middle school, you know, you would obviously be able to tell them, you know, this is a service dog and they understand that concept. But I would be worried about the younger students who don't understand the concept of, you know, the dog is not there as a pet. It's there to do a job, um, you know, um, and that that would be some of the concerns that you know come to light they're excellent points kathy i hadn't even thought about the allergy issue or the fear of the dogs these are basically sub issues that are going to come up you once you're debated the fape versus access issue access isn't as simple as how did you answer the first or the three questions in fry then it can come down to questions such as now how do i bring that say service animal into the facility into individual classrooms and address the issues that might arise there so it, it creates a whole 
extra layer of issues in the analysis, which um, excellent point again, it shows that there, there's a lot of layers to the analysis and the issue in, in addition to FAPE versus access issues. Now, have you seen many issues arise for students with disabilities where there was a debate as to whether it was an issue appropriate for a due process hearing such as the dog in this case or another service, elevator or other access issues? Have you seen them arise in your work with the PTA? I have seen one issue arise um, with the service dog and um, there were parents that were just concerned about some of the issues that I spoke about, um, concerned about, um, you know, well, the, one of the issues that was brought up with, with the issue was in the lunchroom, will the service dog be accompanying the student in the lunchroom? And if so, will children want to give treats out? Will the dogs, you know, be, um, you know, stealing food, like we know, like we all have a lot of pets, like we spoke about John before this, we all have a lot of pets. And, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, my pet isn't very um, uh, good when it comes to having food, always looking to beg for treats and just things like that. Um, so my answer to them was, you know, check your school policy, go to your, um, you know, your district superintendent, your administrators and ask them, you know, if there is a policy about that. And if there is, um, you know, what is that policy? So this way, as a parent, you, you know um, what is expected. And again, like Gita said before, communication with everything is key. We talk about that not only with issues like this, but with all issues, because you might not always like what you hear, but when it's communicated to you, um, you know the answer. And it doesn't seem like, you know, things are being brushed under the rug or things are being hidden. So that's really the most important part of, um, I think, uh, communication between the schools and the families and the students. Gita brought up a good point. You know, students need to be involved in their education. That's how we teach them how to advocate for themselves. Excellent points, Kathy, and really brings up another point. It's not just the student whose service you're talking about when you get into certain settings and the feeding of the dogs and how they're going to interact in places like a cafeteria. It might involve issues of educating other students as well. Um, now, I have one final question for you. I just wanted to ask, now, do you believe parents have concerns about legal distinctions, such as the issues in this Fry case? Or are they more concerned with what their child's going to receive to allow them to receive an appropriate education? regardless of whether where any dispute might be able to be brought or is this an issue that is of great concern to parents in your in your way of thinking yeah I think all parents um, regardless of uh, you know what whether they have a typical student a special needs student they all are concerned first and foremost about an appropriate education for their child um, you know, I think that students um, need, and parents need to trust their school districts um, because distrust, you know, um, when you don't trust someone, like you just said before, that becomes an issue. Um, but, you know, districts, parents do need to understand, and we say this all the time, that districts need to follow the law. You know, what might seem easy, I was also a school board member at one time, and I could remember things before I was a school board member that things just seemed to be like, well, why can't they just do A? But, I, but once I became a school board member, I knew that in order to get to A, you know, you had to follow B and C. So um, parents need to understand that also. Um, you also have to remember that, you know, um, regardless, you know, um, the, the schools do need to follow the IEPs and the 504s. They understand that. But again, there's ways to get to that. 
Um, and sometimes things aren't legal for a school district to do, even though a parent might might say, you know, I want this done. And then parents of typical children also need to understand that school districts need to accommodate all students. And sometimes, you know, parents of typical, typical students need to also accommodate and they need to understand that we're in a world and we have to look at everyone and look at everyone's needs and we all have to, um, you know, help out. Excellent points, Kathy. Um, are there, is there anything else you'd like to add? We're going to wrap up our podcast uh, for today now, but did you have any final thoughts that you wanted to share with us before we do that? Yeah, just my final thought is, again, we all have to work together. Parents, students, educators, administrators, everyone has to work together. And we all have to understand that everyone has needs and we all have to try to accommodate everyone and do what's best for everyone in general. And I think if everyone understands that, we all communicate together, I think, um, you know, we could get to a good place. So Gita, thank you again for joining us today on our podcast. We really appreciate your insights from a perspective as a district director. Thank you, John. It was a privilege being with you and Kathy today. And Kathy, as always, it's great to have your perspective as a parent. We really appreciate you taking out time to join us today. Thank you, John. Thank you, Gita. I really appreciate you bringing in the parent's voice. For more information about the Fry case or any of the issues addressed in our 12-part podcast series, go to the Legal One website at www.njpsa.org slash Legal One NJ. And also, for more information about the NJPTA, visit their website at www.njpta.org. Thank you again for joining us today. I look forward to seeing you on future Legal One podcasts. Stay safe and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.